Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Good morning. It really is good to see you. I'm, uh, and I, I mean it. I'm trying to work my way back in the lineup, man. We have great teachers, don't we? Great leaders, and I just thank the Lord for that. If you're our guest, we're so glad that you're here. And I know there are a lot of different activities going on that bring people to churches during the summer, uh, family reunions, weddings, gatherings, and just people uh, spending time in a particular community just showing up. So we're glad that everybody's here. We've spent the last few days with our grandkids, uh, three of them. We have those three little things that say you can redeem one of those beepers for one child. So we had those, but their real parents showed up. So we're now off duty. Thank you. Thank you. We, uh, we enjoy it. It was fun. I just forget that when we were parents, we just had a lot more energy. And, uh, and uh, Annette's really pulled the load. I've been getting ready for the weekend. And I, I, I actually text her when she was, this is horrible, but she was batting and she had everything going. I mean, she runs, it runs like a machine. And so she had them all going and feeding them. And, and I'm in my office studying and I kept sending little notes, uh, uh, please pray for me. I'm rusty. I've got to do this and get back into it. And oh yeah, and, and I know you're taking care of she, So she's praying for me and taking care of the kids. So I don't know. And uh, she's just a mom at heart. And so we, uh, we have really enjoyed our, uh, our summer, taking time and being refreshed. Thank you for letting us get away and be refreshed for the last uh, four, six weeks. We've enjoyed it. Uh, Thursday evening, we took a trip up to Camp Crestview, and our junior high kids are there. I think, I don't know, we have 40 or 50 junior high kids, and then there are about uh, 15 or 20 uh, staff members from this church running the camp. And so we went up there Thursday, and I forgot how much I like to be with junior high kids. I really, I, I love it because they don't really care who you are. In fact, they don't give a rip who you are. Uh, they just don't. They just kind of show up, and they're in your face. And, and by the way, they're the only group of people on planet Earth when they do something wrong and they, when asked why did they do that, they say, I don't know. I believe them. I believe them. I don't believe anyone else, but I believe them. <laughs> and so uh, we were there and uh, they have this, man, they build this up like 300 junior high kids and they're getting ready to, <laughs> they're getting ready to open the doors, man. And you're just standing in there like this. It's just stay out of their way. And uh, the doors open. <sighs> it's like chairs were like, like logs in a stream. They were just getting moved downstream. And, and, and we were just laughing. I thought, this is the greatest. And the worship team was from here. They did a great job. And it reminds me of why we're here. And I want to continue to communicate this. We're here because of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. One of the greatest things that we can be a part is becoming a disciple of Christ and helping others become disciples for Jesus Christ. So we want to continue to participate in that. We saw that at this camp, and I'll tell you, the staff, again, most of them from here, from this church, it, it just runs. It is, when you step onto that campus, it's not easy to keep 300 junior high kids going in the same direction, or at least control it a little bit, and uh, they, they know what they're doing. It wasn't their first dance. Uh, they knew what they were doing, and it was so good to go into a place like that and say, wow, this is happening. They, they, these kids are doing a great, a great job. And so this is really about making disciples. And of course, with that in mind, I want to just uh, invite Jim and Terry Fortner to the platform if you would come up here. Jim and Terry Fortner. Applause. 
Uh, they've been with us for about 13 years now. And uh, when we talk about going and making disciples, that's, that's one of the things that we do. And it happens in a lot of different ways. Uh, we've planted churches out of here. Uh, we've sent people to mission fields. We've done all kinds of things. It was, I think, about two months ago, um, Larry Spousta, my district supervisor, I'm on the district council, he said, hey, we need to be looking for someone to pastor the Foursquare Church in Anchorage, Alaska. And at that moment, I, I was, I, you know, immediately thought of, of this couple, uh, but I, I refused the temptation to say anything, and I waited for a couple of weeks, and the conviction of God was so strong, I thought, I better, I better say this and just get out of the way. And, and so I talked to Larry about Jim and Terry, and, uh, and I did step out of the way, and, and they began this conversation. And so just recently, what you need to be aware of is that Jim and Terry are now the new pastors of Skyline Foursquare Church in Anchorage, Alaska. So... You know, part of being a generous church like you are part of, it's, it's, it's always got those two sides to it. You're excited about making disciples, but you also realize that you have to let people go to do that. And uh, so it is with a measure of sadness in our hearts, we're releasing them, but with great joy, because this is really where they're from. They, they, they have their home there. Grandkids are there. Kids are there. Uh, Terry grew up in Homer, Alaska. If you don't know where it is, you have to Google it and then look really, really close because it's small. But, uh, but they, they know the area. They, they, and it really takes someone that knows that area, who knows that culture, to go there. And we're so thankful that this is what is happening. I think it's going to be in the next, oh, uh, two to four, six weeks that they'll be putting their things together. We'll have them come back up before they actually leave. And we'll anoint them with oil and send them out. And uh, we want you to be praying for them. That's why I've had them come up today is so that you can be praying for this transition, uh, that it would be smooth, it would go well, they would be received well at the Skyline Foursquare Church in Anchorage. And so, guys, we're proud of you. Jim, you have anything to tell us? It was 13 years ago that we came here. So it's been over 13 years since I've had the thrill of walking outside on a winter morning at 30 below and having the hair in my nose freeze. <laughs> uh -huh. It was about four and a half years ago that Terry and I approached Pastor Ron and said we felt like the Lord had put it in our hearts that we wanted to shepherd a flock of our own. And uh, that has been... Uh, a process since then, and something I've observed is that after the Lord puts a dream or a vision, a calling in your heart, very likely there will be no visible evidence, no tangible clue that God even hears your cry. Mm -hmm. But all that time, he'll be working behind the scenes on so many levels and primarily preparing you mm -hmm. for him to fulfill that call. Uh, Terry and I have been privileged to be discipled by Pastor Ron and Annette. We got, when we came here, we got to experience what grace looked like. Ron and Annette modeled that, and you have modeled that and reflected that because of our leadership. And the Lord's given Terry and I the privilege of taking the grace that we received here up to those people in Anchorage. And that, that little church needs that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we are, we are going to miss both of you. We know that this is uh, something that God has certainly ordained. And whenever he does anything like that, uh, we want to always have a loose grip on anything that God has and anything and anyone that he has uh, wanting to release into making disciples. And that's what you're doing. And we want to thank you for that. And what we want to do right now is we're just going to pray for them this preparation time. And then, again, we'll have them back when we send them out for that final time to go to Anchorage, Alaska. So uh, would you extend your hands forward? Let's do this. Father, we just thank you for the gift that you've given us in this couple and how they have blessed our lives, how they've encouraged Annette and I, how we've been able to work together, how the team has come together to do the things that you've called us to do, that singular vision, that, that focus of making disciples. Lord, we just pass this on again in our DNA. It's a part of our genetic code as believers and as a, a church called New Life. Lord, we just pray that uh, this would continue into Alaska, into that area, to that region. We just thank you for Jim and Terry. We ask that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, man. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Well, I want to I wanna thank our all, and I did a little bit already, um, all of our pastors. And it was good to have Jim and Terry. They've been here pastoring. And Terry is headed, I think you're headed off to Alaska Airlines. I like Alaska Airlines. Uh, main reason is because Terry, um, a lot of times when I'm headed out, she's at the gate. It's always nice to get prayed for before you get on an airplane. You know that? I, I didn't realize how much I missed it. And uh, we have a little church. That's where we get caught up. Get caught up at the gate right there. And, uh, and so they're going to be, and I think she's even transferring up to uh, Anchorage for Alaska Airlines. So it's all working out really well. Uh, I really do appreciate all of our pastors who have shared in the book of Ephesians over these last several weeks, not the least of which uh, was my wife Annette last weekend. And uh, she tackled a tough one. Man, that's a tough one. Uh, wives submitting to your hus uh, husbands, right? And uh, husbands love your wife. And uh, for those that were here last week, I'm going to make an announcement. She passed the test. So if you don't know what that means, you got to go on and find out what it means. She, she passed the test. It was probably one of the most... I think one of the most even-handed deliberations on that passage of Scripture. So she put all of us, men and women, husbands and wives, on even ground and just shared with us really the, the value of the gospel and the importance of obedience in all of our lives. And, and with that, what I want to do today is I want to continue that series in Ephesians. It's empowered for life. That's really the theme of the series we've been walking through. And so would you open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We're going to also have all the Scripture and verses up on the overhead. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And the topic of these four verses have to do with the parent-child relationship. And the Apostle Paul does something here. He reaches back to the Ten Commandments as his primary reference point, specifically the Fifth Commandment. And at the same time, he includes instruction to the church about being a good soldier. So in chapter 6, he's talking about being a good soldier. If you remember, in chapter 5, he referred to the church as being the bride of Christ. 
And now he comes to chapter 6 and he talks to us as we're good soldiers. That, that the body of Christ is to be prepared for warfare. To be prepared for battle. Now, I want to tell you something that I thought was very interesting to me. It's interesting to me that the lesson found in verses 1 through 4 draws from a, a past principle, the fifth commandment, with a promise, by the way, which we'll talk about in just a moment, concerning parent-children relationships, while the application, if you look at it, the application is spiritual warfare. Now, when we first look at that, I, I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of and can appear to be disjointed. It, it seems to be almost, these, these two subjects seem to be diametrically opposed. They, they, they seem to, to, to be mutually exclusive. And, and so you're looking at this going, well, what's going on here? Why is child rearing being connected to and related to spiritual warfare? Well, we don't understand this altogether, especially in our Western culture, until you have some understanding about the Jewish perspective on child rearing. And not just child rearing, but their nature about life in general. Now, here's what is at the very core of a Hebrew heart. And that's this. Life is a battle, and you fight for everything you get. You see, they are soldiers by nature. Even casual observers would have to say, as a people, they've had a rough, rough go of it. The Jews are taught from an early age that you never ever let your guard down if you do you are dead the truth in my opinion and this truth especially is something that has gone by us and we haven't recognized it altogether in our western culture I know I haven't to really follow the spiritual principles of standing guard of standing watch the bible says to stand guard over your own soul to stand guard and watch over your own family your own children I think we've relaxed way too much. So for the Apostle Paul to make child rearing synonymous with a soldier's training and preparation is a natural thing to the Jews. In fact, when we visited Israel not too long ago, we will be visiting again this coming May or the May of 2013, I was surprised when I walked in. We visited a kibbutz and we walked in and there mixing with all the kids were the fathers and many of those fathers were wearing automatic weapons. They had over their shoulders Uzis and they, were, they had their t-shirts on, their shorts on. They were kicking the soccer ball around. They were eating ice cream. The kids were running around and it was just a startling contrast to things that I'm used to. I mean, I don't go watch kids play soccer with a bunch of fathers carrying Uzis. And so I'm looking at this going, Wow. This is a whole different world. It's a different world because they've been trained to live this way. They've been trained to live as warriors. In fact, when you enter the Israeli army, uh, the, the first thing they do, one of the first things your commanding officer will have you do is they will have you suit up, put your hiking boots on. They will take you to the narrowest part of Israel and they will have you run across. It's 20 miles. And the point is this. You defend every inch of this soil because we don't have much and everyone's trying to get it. And so they're trained to be these kinds of warriors. In fact, every Jewish boy and every Jewish girl that grows up, they know something. The boys know that at the age of 18, they will be required to serve three years in the military. The girls know. Now, girls, you don't get off the hook. The girls know they will be required to serve two years in the military. 
And in fact, all of the men are on reserve. That means they're on call if anything should happen, any war breaks out until they're 51 years old. This is a nation of warriors. This is a nation of, of, of soldiers. Uh, we're interested in that, and I are always interested in what's going on in the Middle East. And I picked up an article the other day. And uh, in June of 2011, Major General Onar Bavia became the very first female major general in the Israeli Defense Force. Not only for Israel do the women serve, but I think this is unusual throughout the world to have this kind of rank in any kind of formal army. And so you see what they're about. You see what they're up to. You see that they're made to be warriors. Now, I said all this so that you could have a deeper appreciation for the passage that I'm about to read you. And in fact, when you read this passage, if you'll notice the language has a bit of a military flair to it. There's words that'll stand out when you're reading this and you're going, wow, he's drawing from some sort of military background here. And and this is what it says in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, Do not exasperate or provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You hear that language? It's amazing because verse 1 tells us what is fundamental to your survival as a child growing up in a Jewish household. And even more than that, what is fundamental to your survival as a Christian believer. And that is this. It is obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. That last phrase where it says, for this is right. If you're familiar with any of the writings of the Apostle Paul, there are places that he he will urge you. He will strongly urge you. He will invite you. This is one of the very few places he quotes something and then says, this is right. There is no room for debate. This is the right thing to do. This is the right, and, and even goes further in the Greek, it is the righteous thing to do. So by nature, it is a good thing to do. Now, Paul tells us that the preparation of a good soldier must begin in the home when he or she is a child. It's not the school or the church or Sunday school. These can be great and wonderful places, but it's in the home that this is to take place. A child who is is not primarily trained in the home is at a disadvantage. And I want to qualify that. Is at a disadvantage. It doesn't mean that a child who's raised in a non-believer's home can can, uh, not overcome. They can overcome. There is a disadvantage there. And we've seen that. I, I've spent time with uh, many of us who have not come from a, from a Christian home or a Christian environment. And what we recognize is doubt. There is a disadvantage. But through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a, a good church family, through good mentors, through good people who coach you, you can overcome. You can make it. But Paul is letting us know fundamental to our spiritual health and our ability to conquer comes that environment that's called uh, the home. Verse 1 has given us the first lesson in being a good soldier, and that's obedience. Obedience to those in authority. Now, last night, my my parents were here, and I love this because my my parents have been here for almost uh, 23, 24 years. 
But whenever I read a scripture like this, I automatically think, now, I mean, have I done anything? You know, I, knew I, I've done, I know I've done some things as a, as a teenager. Maybe I haven't asked for forgiveness. So last night in front of everybody, I asked them if I was willfully rebellious or disobedient, if they would forgive me. And my mom shook her head yes. My dad, not so much. I don't know what my dad was thinking. But, but, uh, but I want to make sure that, I, that I'm okay. You know, it's honoring. It's being obedient to them. Now, now I laugh a little bit at, uh, at that, but, but actually maybe a good thing for some of you adult children might be to ask parents to forgive you. Might even be a good thing to forgive yourself. Annette and I cannot tell you how many times that we will sit down with people and individuals who are even our age in their 50s and 60s and they're dealing with aging parents and they haven't taken care of spiritual, emotional business. And sometimes it's a very simple thing to, I know it can be hard, but a simple thing, a simple act to go and say, would you forgive me and then forgive yourself? If there's been any hardship, if there's been any long-standing bitterness there, let me tell you something, it is good for your spiritual health to get that out of the way. I don't know what we do. I don't know why we do it. I know I've done it. I've lived my life pretending maybe those things aren't going to bother me or those things aren't going to affect me, but they do. And it's good to clear that out. And let me say this. If you have parents that have already passed, it's not a bad exercise to sit down and write a note to them just so that you can get that out and you can write that down and, and, and see what you're feeling and what you're thinking. I, I think that's something that, that we all must and we need to look at. A good soldier must learn to follow orders. This is exactly what you were taught in basic training. Because after the soldier has learned healthy obedience, they are in a position, listen, they are postured, don't overlook this, they are postured spiritually and emotionally to advance, to be promoted in life. Because sometimes I I, I think our, our retardation and advancement has to do with our lack of obedience and understanding what healthy authority looks like. I've seen that. I've seen it even in my own life. I've seen it in in my kids. I've seen it in in a community, in a society. And I'm thinking we've got to get this straight. We need to get this straight so we posture ourselves for advancement in the kingdom of God as well. Listen, to know how to give orders depends largely on how the soldier learned to obey. You can never be a good leader without being a good follower. Here's a question that good leaders should ask themselves. It's a question that I try to ask myself every single day that I wake up. Do I want someone like me following me today? Sounds a little rhetorical, doesn't it? But I want you to get the point here. There are times I roll out on the wrong side of the bed. There are times that I am cranky. There are times that I'm selfish. There are times that I'm arrogant. There's times that I'm prideful. And I look at my life at that moment and think to myself, my goodness, I wouldn't want someone like me following me today. They're going to make my life horrible. And I'll tell you, that question actually helps me get my attitude together. And hopefully most of the days that I wake up and I ask that question, because I'm submitted, because I'm walking humbly before the Lord, I can say, yes, I wouldn't mind someone like me following me today because my life is in order with God. Listen, there are a lot of people that wonder, why aren't people following me the way that they, they should? Why aren't my kids acting the way they should? Listen, one of the first things you can do, look at your own heart. And ask the question, am I in order? Am I right 
with my Father in heaven. I think when we ask those questions, good things can happen. And, and I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul uses two models in this chapter for where basic training takes place. Did you notice that? We're in one of them right now. It's verses 1 through 4. It talks about the home. In verses 5 through 9, it talks about the workplace. But notice how it transitions immediately after verse 9 to putting on the whole armor of God. It's not a coincidence that he put these things together. He is telling us that the victories of Christian life are won in the home and in the place that you work. Notice something else here. Notice the words, in the Lord. There's a lot of debate and was a lot of debate, especially when I was growing up. What does that actually mean? Well, I think there are two ways that you can look at that. One is this. Certainly it has to do with being in a Christian home and growing up in the Lord, in the word of the Lord, in the precepts of the Lord, in the spirit of the Lord. But what about those that don't have Christian parents that, that get saved, that find Christ as their Lord and Savior? What does that then look like? Well, let me tell you what I think it looks like. I think it looks like this, that there are non-believing parents that still, when they give instruction, it's within the it's within the boundaries of the word. It's in the Lord. They may not know it. They may not connect it to that. And in that place, in those places, I think there's obedience that's, op- you're, you're obligated to be obedient. And the reason I'm being strong about this is because, uh, and I'll give a few things away here, uh, you know, I grew up in kind of the latter part of the hippie movement, and I remember, uh, I remember kids getting saved and saying, okay, now my parents don't know the Lord, I don't have to obey them anymore. No, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't do that. What you do is you say, okay, I need to be sensitive and I need to be obedient to the things that, that are coming my way, the instruction that's coming my way. Here's something else that I, I want all of us to keep in mind. Disobedience to parents is the last and lowest form of lawlessness to occur on this planet. So what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. In fact, it's in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2. I want to read it to you. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. That's what the Bible's telling us. Disobedience to parents is one of the characteristics of the last days. And in fact, when historians have studied societies that have risen and fallen, one of the last qualities or characteristics they see before the fall is this total rebellion and hatred and bitterness toward authority and parents. Now, I'm not talking about the natural struggles that take place between parents and their children. Please understand this. Parents, if you have a rebellious child right now, don't look at them and say, Aha! This is evidence that Jesus is coming soon. Because there are struggles we go through. They're just those developmental struggles that we face in child rearing. They're there. They're there. There's the struggle for independence. There's the the struggle between boys reaching adolescence with their mothers. There's the struggle between daughters and fathers. There are those dynamics. Those are developmental struggles. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is flat out wicked rebellion and, and hatred. That's what he's speaking of. 
Now listen to verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 say this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Now here's another one of those words used, those military words, the word honor. You hear that a lot mentioned in military uh, circles. Honor simply means to respect, to value, to esteem someone both privately and publicly. Now Paul is repeating the fifth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 if you want to know where it's at. And what he's saying here is honor your father and mother carries with it a promise of long life to those who keep it. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now let me say this. It's the first commandment with an affirmative promise, with a blessing. There there are other promises in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, but they're not so good for you. If you do this, you will die. If you do this, this bad thing can happen. What he's saying here is out of all the commandments, and by the way, every commandment is represented in the the New Testament except for one, and that's the Sabbath. But all of them are mentioned. And it says here that if you do this, if you honor your fathers and mothers, if you obey the fifth commandment, your life will go well with you. And that, that, that's what he's saying. There's a, there's a promise here. And what we recognize is we do see that life can be and has been cut short for those that disobey and dishonor their parents. I think of a scriptural example. I think of the relationship David had with Absalom. Absalom just disobeyed his father. In fact, tried to commit treason against his father. And the Bible tells us that he died at an early young age. And I'm telling you that there, there are principles there we want to pay attention to. And let me, I want to extend this principle if you'll let me. I want to extend it even a little further than, than our biological relationships. I want to extend this to our spiritual relationships, if I may. Because I think this principle not only works in the biological relationships, but it works spiritually. And what I think it means here is when you, when you honor your spiritual mothers and fathers, your day goes well with you. Because I know this about my life. I know this about myself. I didn't get here. I didn't get here because I was that smart or, you know, that nice or that good looking or any of those reasons. I got here because of God's grace and there was someone that went before me like a grandparent and grandparents and moms and dads and many people who knew me that were praying for me. I, I can look you in the eyes and tell you I know that's the reason. I'm not smart enough to get anywhere on my own. And no one in this room is. The reason I'm going the places that I think God wants me to go is because there have been gatekeepers in my life, spiritual mothers and fathers who watched after me and who prayed for open doors, who came alongside of me and helped me get to the places that I needed to get. And when we honor those mothers and fathers, our days will go well with us. One of the comments that's made about this church right here is when I come in, it feels peaceable. It feels like there's a peace. And I want to tell you something. Don't ever take that for granted because I'll tell you, it's not everywhere because I've been around. I've been around the block. And I'm going to attribute that to one thing. It doesn't have much to do with me. It has to do with a community of believers that honor their spiritual mothers and fathers. I, 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 I strongly believe that. In fact, it was about three months after I arrived here, I looked around and I was seeing everybody that looked like me. I mean, we're all young, we're raising kids, and I seriously got nervous. It scared me to death. I'm looking around and everybody's like in their 20s and 30s, and I'm going, oh man, we got to have a meeting. And so I pulled all the young leaders together and I looked them in the eyes and I said, listen, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, if you're the smartest guy and gal in the room, we are really in trouble. 
We need to pray, and this is the way we pray, we need to pray that God would bless us with gray hair in this church. And we prayed, we fasted, man, we were serious about this. And we prayed and we fasted, and about two months later, we look in the back door and we saw really our our first outside gray-haired people walk in, Tom and Dorothy Williamson, the one who used to own Tom's Pancake House. And he walks in and everyone goes, oh, and they just started loving them and giving them, where do you want to sit? We'll help you. We'll give you, you want any coffee? And they're going, wow, we came to the right church today. Gave up our seats for them, loved them because they were prepared. This group of people, this young group of people, they were prepared to honor their mothers and fathers in the faith. And since then, we've been able to see how God has. Have you looked around and see the cross generations here? I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you right now. I get really nervous when I see just a bunch of young people. I think you can, you can loud that. It's a wonderful thing. Look at all. And I'm thinking, yeah, but wow, that's full of pitfalls. And I do get really, really nervous when there are a lot of older people too, only. I think God has called us to learn from each other. And that's the culture that is cultivated and exists here. I need to learn from you. And I look around and I see mothers and fathers of the faith here right in this service. Every service I've looked out and I said, there's some moms and dads of the faith. They helped us get through child rearing. They helped us get through difficult times. This is our church family for 24 years. We need to honor our mothers and fathers so our days will go well for us. Two years ago, I was doing a pastor's training in Denver, Colorado, and all day long, the Lord kept tugging, nagging me, really, saying, call your spiritual father, Tom Ferguson. Call your spiritual father, Tom Ferguson. Tom Ferguson used to be the pastor of a great church in Everett, Washington, and and I, all day I put it off. I, I, I just put it off. I'm busy. I've got a lot of things to do. And, and the Lord said, you call him and you tell him how thankful you are that he has been a spiritual father to you. Because Tom, as my leader, covered us and opened doors for us and gave us opportunities as young leaders to grow and was never afraid of it. And so that night I got into the hotel room and I picked up the phone and I was in Denver. I called to Everett. I said, Tom, I just need to tell you how thankful I am that you were a gatekeeper in my life. I'm so thankful that you were one of my spiritual fathers. I needed you and I still need you. And in perfect Tom Ferguson fashion, he took the low road and he said, or the high road, he said, "Uh uh-uh, it wasn't me. You guys are really good and you were easy to love. And all of those things I really expected to hear from him. Hung up the phone and the next morning I went back to the pastor's training and it just so happened that Tom's brother-in-law was one of the pastors from Greeley, Colorado who was in the session and he looked up at me and he said with tears in his eyes, did you know Tom passed away last night? And I said, what? He goes, he passed away. And I said, I just talked to him last night. He goes, you talked to him? I said, yeah, I just called him. It was about 8 o'clock. He said he died of a heart attack at 10 o'clock last night. And here's what I thought to myself. God never let me lose those moments. You don't know. And I'm going to say this to all of you. If you have mothers and fathers of the faith you need to get to and tend to and speak to this day, today, do it. Honor your fathers and mothers. And the Bible says, and your days will go well for you. Now here's what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, fathers... 
Do not exasperate or provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you want a, a, a parallel passage of that, read uh, Colossians chapter 3. Kind of repeats and, and elaborates on what Paul is saying here in this one verse. And here's, here's something that I, I want to share with all of you today, but especially to our fathers and grandfathers. And please hear me on this. Fathers and grandfathers, I say this with the greatest of humility, and that is I'm just a fellow traveler with you fraught with the same frailties and weaknesses that all of us have. But as I looked over this and I prayed about it, I thought, how can I communicate what I'm feeling and seeing in my own heart? There's something that I have that God wants to get out to you, and I, I struggled with it. I tried to just put it in what would be called theological form, and it didn't happen. The way it came out with this, of my heart was with an allegory, imagery. If you'll listen just for a moment and hear what this says. Children need the spiritual shade of a father. A cool, a safe place to rest from the noonday sun of the world. You know, shade isn't something that you think about. You don't think about it much at all unless you're in the middle of a desert and the sun is scorching hot. Then you know that shade can be the difference between life and death. A father is that shade every child needs. That's why the Apostle Paul tells fathers not to provoke your children to anger. Because when fathers do that, it exposes their children to the elements of life they just are not ready to handle. If a father provokes his children to anger, it causes them to shrivel up into small, hard, angry shells. Fathers, God has called us to be anything. He's called us to be shade in a very hot world. That the shade of your life will protect and keep those that need to have it. And I am so thankful I am in a church where there's a lot of shade. I am so thankful that young people who don't have families like, like some of you, they can come and come under your shade, be in your shade. And it keeps them and protects them. And then I think there's a few ways to look at this. How then, you have to ask the question, does a father provoke his children? And there are two ways that I know I provoke my children. And looking for that balance is hard as a father. But one is by being a perfectionist. No grace, no mercy, no wiggle room. In fact, the task is more important than the child. I've been there. I've done it. But then there's another extreme. It's by being permissive, where there's no discipline, uh, no consequence to the wrong behavior that's playing out in front of you in your very home with your children. There's no shade for your children in either one of these extremes. But let me tell you this. There is so much hope here. Because what's amazing about verse 4 is that Paul provides the balance fathers need between perfectionism and permissiveness. And here's the balance. It's in his own words. Listen to what it says. That first phrase says, bring them up. In the English, we can't really appreciate it. But in the Greek, it's one word. And the word means to nourish and treasure them. 
That's what it's saying here. In fact, he uses it, the Apostle Paul uses it early on. He uses it in Ephesians 5, 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. He's talking, about, he's talking to a man about his love for his wife. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and treasures it just as Christ does the church. It's the same exact word to nourish them. Here's the bottom line. Fathers, work all things together for the good of your children and so the character of God will be on display. When fathers work that way, what children will see is they'll see the qualities and characteristics that are found in our Abba Father. Here's another word. The word here is training. And it really has to do with admonition and discipline. This has to do with the steps a father takes to give his children the abilities and the skills and the character to live life to the glory of God. So there's a practical expression here. Dads can help their kids learn certain abilities, certain skills, whatever they are in your life as a father or grandfather. You're permitted, in fact, you're invited by the word to show your children those very skills. I think that's so appropriate for a dad. I know it is for me because I, I just need to see how it works sometimes. I don't get it when it's in writing, but I, when I see it worked out, when I see it lived out, I, I, I understand it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. In fact, he's using a, a familiar word in his writings. The word for training here is the same word we get gymnasium from. Gymnasium is not different, that much different in the Greek. And he uses it in another place when he's writing his young, his young protege. He's writing Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, for going in the gymnasium of righteousness and learning how to live your life. Where's the gymnasium? It's in your home. Who's the coach? Dad, you're the coach. It's there in that environment a place where positive and negative results can be measured before they actually hit the world. They can be watched. They can be looked over. As an athlete, I remember I used to strive for something as an athlete, and I still try to strive for this. When you're hitting a baseball or a golf ball or you're doing anything athletic, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the best result out of muscle response. It's kinesiology, the study of muscles. And when you do something right and you get, the, you get a great response, you try to repeat that. You try to make your muscles keep doing the same thing over and over again because you got a great result out of that discipline, out of that training. How many have you know, been watching the Olympics? You've been seeing all that tape? You know the tape the athletes are... You know what that tape's called? Kinesio tape. Same thing. The reason they're wearing it, if you haven't looked it up, I looked it up, I want to know why they're wearing all that tape. The reason they're wearing it is when they put it on a particular place on their body, that tape, when they get to a place, the athlete gets to a place they're overextending or their muscles aren't doing what they've been trained to do, that tape will stretch and it will remind the muscles, don't go there. Don't go there. That's not the right move. The same is true with the word Paul is using here. Put them in a gymnasium, those children, and so when they make the right moves, they're rewarded. When they make the wrong moves, they're corrected. It's just like the training of an athlete we see here. 
And then there's a, another word here, the word instruction. You see that? It's a little different than training. This word is about teaching or counseling in a way that warns your children concerning danger or improper conduct. That's probably one of the biggest things fathers are known for. If they're known for anything, it's to say, hey, you stop it. And sometimes we add a few other words. You knucklehead, you know, those things you shouldn't probably say. But that's what you're doing as a father. You're going, hey, no, you're going to go to the wrong place. The wrong thing's going to happen. You're in danger, danger. The Bible says one of the responsibilities of a father is to tell his or her children they're in danger. Because this does apply to mothers as well. But here's the military part of it. It it talks about fathers here as the head of the troop is what the reason Paul's using this. I remember, uh, I think Ronnie was about 12, Ryan was 10. We went out to Madras, Oregon. At the time, it was the hottest place on planet Earth. It was hotter than Mars over there. And so we were... We were walking down a pathway, and the boys were in front of me. Ronnie was ahead, and I was walking down a path, and I had a vantage point. I was a little higher on the path, and I looked over to the left of the path, and I saw a rattlesnake, and it was moving toward the path. And I yelled out the top of my lungs, Ronnie, stop right now! And he went like this. Good boy. And he just kind of looked back, and... Right there, about four or five feet ahead of him, there was the rattlesnake. Something he may not have been able to see from his vantage point, but a father saw from his vantage point. See, one of the things fathers and grandfathers were responsible for doing is helping bring that, that clarion call. Whether our children will listen to it every time, probably not. But it still does not negate the responsibility that God has given us to cover and protect. And I think you see that so clearly. Aren't you so glad that the Apostle Paul says, don't exasperate, but then tells you how not to? He just doesn't leave fathers in the cold here. He gives them some wonderful instruction. And here's the last one, of the Lord. You see that last phrase? It says, of the Lord. I believe this means that the content of a father's teachings and warnings and the method of a father's modeling discipline and the goal of a father's whole life with his children, will be from the Lord, through the Lord, and for the Lord. That is the call that God has placed on our lives. Fathers, as a fellow traveler with you, let me speak a blessing over your life, would you? Something the Lord has given me for our fathers today. Fathers, may the shade of your life Be like a mighty oak tree that stands in the scorching places of this world. And may your shade bring rest and rejuvenation to all your children that seek its refuge. And may the Lord reward you like a tree who is planted by streams of living water which yields its nourishing fruit in the proper time and whose shade will always be present in whatever you do. It will be greatly rewarded by the one who grants all who believe in him abundant life. Fathers, be blessed. Be blessed. Would you bow your head with me?
You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. 